Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello. Hello. You're listening to week 44 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And as ever, we've attempted to go out of our way to see almost all the films in the cinema, even the bad ones, so you don't have to. My name hasn't changed. I'm still Craig Fields. And I'm still David Long. And coming up on this week's show... Steve Coogan, Isla Fisher, David Mitchell, Shirley Henderson and Asa Butterfield star in Greed. Harrison Ford, Omar Sy, Dan Stevens, Karen Gillan and Cara G star in The Call of the Wild... Like a Boss stars Rose Byrne, Tiffany Haddish and Salma Hayek. Then we'll be dealing with Brahms, The Boy 2, starring Katie Holmes, O.I. Yeoman, Christopher Convery and Ralph Einson. And we'll be rounding the show off with Disney Pixar's latest adventure animation, Onwards, which stars Tom Wood... Tom Wood? I was to say Tom Wood. Tom Holland, <laughs> Chris Pratt and Julia Louis. Dreyfus. It is a packed show as always, but perhaps not as packed as previous weeks, which is nice. We've been doing eight, nine, maybe even ten reviews on recent weeks, oh. and uh, just the five this week, but still a pretty action-packed show for the listeners to get their ears stuck into. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, let's chat. Let's let's do it. Yeah, okay. Uh, one thing that's been on my mind recently is, uh, has been the coronavirus. No fear-mongering here, Mr. Fields. I'm, I'm not trying to, but... Seems to be gaining a lot of momentum at the minute, and rapidly so. 40, as of today, 40 confirmed cases in the United Kingdom, and it is spreading like wildfire across the globe at the moment. So yeah, it's definitely something to be concerned about. Just how bad it is, is is not clear. It depends on who you listen to. I mm. had someone come into my work at the weekend, yeah. basically telling me that the world was going to end. Oh, um, God. How he was stocking up on UHT milk, um, <laughs> stocking up on bottled water, yeah. tins of corned beef and luncheon meat, etc. Because he believed... Luncheon that, meat. Yeah, ooh, oh. horrible. The only thing luncheon meat should be used for is fishing um, and maybe uh, a very low-budget sandwich. <laughs> um, <laughs> or, or, or an apocalyptic post- coronavirus world mm. but yeah no it is gaining momentum and i know you're a little bit concerned yeah i'm not really one to normally panic about these sort of things but someone with a, an autoimmune disease and uh, a low immune system as it is you know the, the the what if still keeps crossing my mind but i, I don't know if there's any doctors listening I, th- I think there might be one at least and they might be able to set my worries straight at some point i don't think at the end of the day worrying will do nothing for you mr fields you know we've got more things to worry about like all the incredible specials coming up on the on the podcast cinema at home and do we want to do we want to say what other specials we've got coming up yeah i had, I had written that for the intro but i hadn't sh- uh, outro sorry and i hadn't hadn't showed you that bit so it's fine okay <laughs> all right no worries we'll discuss that on the outro um, but a bit of news, though. Uh, so James Mangold uh, is reportedly taking over Indiana Jones 5 from Steven Spielberg. Um, fans are not going to be too impressed with that because mm. Spielberg has helmed those movies since the very incarnation of them. Uh, and it'll be the first time he hands the reins over to another quite capable director, I would say, uh, with with James Mangold, who directed uh, Le Mans 66, and uh, which is also Ford versus Ferrari, and also Logan, yeah. uh, a really great comic book action movie. 
In very, very capable hands indeed. Uh, one thing we didn't touch upon, both of us have quite big sporting events coming up and obviously we're hoping the coronavirus <laughs> doesn't cancel those. Tell our listeners, because this is the most un-Craig Fields event that I think I've ever known you go to. Where are you going next week? I am attending the the, the darts championship. Yeah, I mean, I'm not actually a massive darts fan, but for some reason I've been You've, roped in You've got to love the darts. It's just an excuse to have a, a many a pint, uh, spend some good time with your friends and enjoy what is, you know, one of the most unhealthy sports <laughs> ever created, but one that it really does get the heart racing. Oh, it does. Um, and yeah, I'm off to the Cheltenham Festival. For those of you who don't know, that's a hopefully horse racing meeting. Um, four days of the best of the best uh, joining together to to race over at Cheltenham. Um, I've had it booked up for about a year. Me and my cousin are going for the first two days, the mm. Tuesday and the Wednesday. Got a hotel booked for three nights. I'm really, really hoping and praying the coronavirus doesn't stop that because there is talk. The government has been talking about closing down events with 5,000 people or more. So, you know, sporting events, um, big concerts, anything where lots of people are gathering together mm. could be cancelled. So that could put foul to not only the Cheltenham Festival, but the darts, the upcoming European football championships in England, yeah. the Olympics. I so, wonder if we should do a, a special I was think, I was thinking about this just, just before coming on air. What do our listeners think about doing a coronavirus-themed special where we look at, you know, for example, film, films like Contagion, and you had a few others, didn't you? Yeah, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. No, that's not that one. The, <laughs> the Day After Tomorrow, um, yeah. you know, there's loads of disaster movies. That, yeah. yeah. World War Z, you mm. know, with viruses going around. Contagion and, yeah. is definitely one starring Kate Winslet and Jude Law. Mm. But I was just wondering, would that be in bad taste? Obviously, people are losing their lives. It could get quite serious. Yeah. It already is pretty serious. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, let's it'll be a next month special if mm. it's uh, if it's sort of it wouldn't be peets, a, peets out. A it would bit. be a, a, a an apocalyptic theme, maybe something along those lines, yeah, which might yeah. be a bit doom and gloom. Yeah, still might be in bad taste. Oh, who knows? Yeah, who knows? But yeah. it's something to think about. Yeah. Um, but I think we've waffled enough. Um, are we going to start the show in the usual way, Craig? Yeah, with the box office rundown. The box office rundown. This is the box office rundown brought to you by is it worth it the film review podcast yes that's right it's the box office rundown for the 21st of february to the 23rd of feb 2020 david would you like to kick us off at number 11 Yes, at number 11, we have Greed. And the reason we're going from 11 is because we are reviewing Greed on today's show. It'll be the first film we review. Um, its weekend gross was £369,000. That's its total gross to date. Uh, and we won't say any more about that because in about two or three minutes, you will hear our full review. Yeah, I just thought it'd be worth including that in there just to sort of give you an understanding of how it's doing at the box office yeah. before we go into the review. Um, so in at number 10, then, we have Bad Boys for Life. It took 432 £2,000 at the weekend. Its total gross today is over £15 million. Uh, it's not done too badly, but for the third in the film uh, trilogy there, it's uh, it's not been well received by me, but by you, David. You liked it. Yeah, like I said, we've said this before. Overall, I thought it was a pretty good... Um 
third film in a, in a pretty solid trilogy, actually, and one that I didn't expect to like when I first watched the first Bad Boys for Life, considering it was directed by Michael Bay, but it's become a bit of a guilty, guilty pleasure for me, and yeah, I, I did quite enjoy it. Yeah. In at number nine, then, David? In at number nine, we have Brahms, The Boy 2. Uh, that's weekend gross was uh, £506,000. That's its total gross to date as well. It's not been out very long, and we will be reviewing this film on today's episode. We will indeed. Uh, in at number eight, we have Like a Boss. Uh, that took £520,000 at the weekend. It's the same as its total gross because that's only been out since that weekend, I suppose. There's been another weekend since, but the BFI haven't released the box office results for that just yet. Uh, but And we're also going to be reviewing that on this week's episode, so nothing about that just yet. In at number seven, we have Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Uh, at the weekend, that grossed £772,000. Its total gross is just under £8 million. Uh, we reviewed this on last week's show, and I think both of us, Craig, really quite enjoyed this film. Yeah, we both really did quite enjoy it. Um, it doesn't seem to be doing very well at the box office, um, whether that... Uh means it's not going to get a sequel or anything remains to be seen. It would be great to see Margot Robbie take up the role of Harley Quinn again mm. in her own style film rather than a, a sort of mashup of other characters. But um, you never know with these things, especially with DC. But, yeah, well, um, we, we yeah. just don't know what DC have got planned. No, you really um, don't. Compared to the MCU, they have a much more erratic approach to uh, releasing films and there seems to be no real flow or continuity with their content. Um, but they have produced some good films recently, Joker uh, and obviously Birds of Prey being being one of them as well. Yeah. Uh, well, in at number six then, we have 1917. That took over £1 million at the weekend. Its total gross today is over £41 million. It's doing very, very well. Uh, it's still going since its release, um, which is still selling out most cinema screens. So I'm really pleased with that. Uh, it was one that, a film that we both really, really enjoyed and we both mm. predicted it might win the Oscar. Mm. Um, but there was a lot of competition there. Um, you were really hoping for Joker to win. I mean, I ne- I was hoping for Joker to win. I, I never expected Joker to mm. win Best Picture. I always thought, like you- people will know from listening to um, Road to the Oscars, it was always a two-horse race between 1917 and Parasite. Parasite ultimately came out on top. But 1917 has done fantastically well. Like you said, it's grossed just under £42 million. It took a million pounds last weekend. It only just came out of uh, IMAX in our local Hemel Hempstead Cineworld on mm. Friday. So it's only been out of IMAX for a few days. Um, and yeah, I just thought technically it's one of the best films of the year absolutely no doubt the cinematography um is wonderful it's got a brilliant score it's just a very very good film indeed uh david number five then please uh in at number five we have emma uh that grossed uh one and a half million pounds at the weekend for a total gross of four and a half million and me and craig reviewed this on last week's show um i wasn't blown away by it i thought it was a very very solid film but i think craig you enjoyed it a little bit more than i did yeah i did i think it was a a really great um comedy there from the jane austen novel uh well adapted and it was its own thing after the many adaptions that have been uh, made of it for tv and screen Um, Um, And I thought it did very, very well with getting the humour pretty much spot on. Um, In at number four, we have The Call of the Wild. That took over, well, well, nearly one and a half million pounds at the weekend. And that was the same with the total gross because it's not been out that long. Uh, We are going to be reviewing that second on this week's episode. And I'm really looking forward to talking about this one, actually. Yeah, so Um, Yeah. 
In at number three, David. In at number three, we have Parasite. Uh, it grossed £1,700,000 at the weekend. Its total gross is just over £8 million. Really, really happy to see Parasite in at number three in the box office. Um, it was, without doubt, a fabulous film. Uh, really, really interesting. Really, really intriguing. Um, obviously, uh, Bong Joon-ho winning Best Director at the Academy Awards and Parasite ultimately winning Best Picture as well. Um, just made for a very, very intriguing piece of cinema and one that I wasn't expecting to like but in reality I absolutely adored and I really do want to see it again and it's great to see it in in the cinema and it's great to see people going to see a film in a foreign language and it getting so well received by critics and audiences alike yeah again it's cinema uh, number of cinemas that it's playing at has increased uh, it seems to be cre- increasing week on week almost um, it's now got in 565 cinemas um, I'm pretty sure that's an, an increase on last week um, and it's it's good that they're playing and picking it up at more cinemas. There's it, a want to go and see it because it won Best Picture, but there should be a want to go and see it regardless, I think. Um, I think it, sh- it would have relied on word of mouth and whether mm. or not, if it didn't win the Best Picture, whether or not um, cinemas would have picked it up as prolifically as they are now. Um, but that remains to be seen, I think. Uh, number two, David. Did, oh no, it's number two is me, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, number two, Doolittle. Uh, that took uh, no, just over two million pounds at the weekend. Its total gross today is over fourteen million pounds. Um, oh god, this this had the trumpet out and everything. Yeah, this was really really poor. Bizarrely though, if you could just scroll back down on the screen to Birds of Prey. So Birds of Prey has taken just under eight million pound. Doolittle's taken uh, just under uh, just. I've lost where it is, just over 14 million. So it's actually taken double the amount of Birds of Prey. And that absolutely baffles me because Doolittle really was an absolute catastrophe. It was so badly put together. The CGI was Mm. bad. Robert Downey Jr., who is a fantastic actor, and I want to make that very, very clear, was atrocious. Um, The plot was all over the place. It was such a grand story on such a small scale. It was just horrible, Craig, and it was well worthy of the trumpet. And honestly, I cannot stress this enough. Do not go and see this film. Mm. Do not rent it. Do not watch the trailer. Just steer <laughs> just leave it well alone. away from it because it really was very, very bad indeed. Yeah, it really was. And I think one of the reasons, though, it's done better than Birds of Prey is that the age rating on them are very different. There's a lot, there's a bigger audience for the children to go and want to go and see Doolittle rather than Birds of Prey. Um, it's... You know, parents are going to want to go and go and see uh, Doolittle over mm. Birds of Prey any day because, well, the age rating as well. Uh, f- uh, Birds of Prey is a fifteen, and Doolittle is probably a PG if I rightly yeah, remember PG, off the top yeah. of my head. Um, so that opens its doors to it might even much, have been a U. I can't actually yeah, remember. It just opens its door to a much bigger universe of of people to go and see it. I mean, we didn't. I didn't mention this last week. It's got a much more universal appeal. I, I remember being very, very fond of um, Eddie Murphy's Doctor Doolittle mm. um, when when I was um, younger, and I think a lot many many years ago. many many moons ago, and I think. <laughs> People our age will have remembered that and adults will have remembered that and children would have remembered that and I think that would have helped this. And it does have a very, very broad appeal, but it's it's just such a shame it was so bad. Mm. Really, really was. Would you like to reveal number one then? Yes, so at the top of the pile, we have Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, at the weekend, that grossed just over £4 million. Total gross to date, £14,668,538. Um, I haven't seen this film, but Craig, you saw it and you gave it a pretty good review on last week's show. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not spectacular, but the, the movie itself 
does a lot for the fans and for a younger audience that are going to be interested in this sort of film. It it wasn't on par with Detective Pikachu, but it has done a lot better than Detective mm. Pikachu, apparently, in its opening weekend. Um, it's... It's a film certainly for the fans, without doubt. They stuck to their... Um, they, well, they didn't stick to their guns because they changed what the original Sonic was going to look like in CGI form, and that appealed to a lot more people. Um, it was everything the fans were hoping for, and I think that's why it's done so well. Yeah, I mean, smashing it in the box office, they'll be absolutely delighted with that. Yeah, so David, would you like to give us uh, the rundown from 11 to 1? Yes, so 11, we have Greed, 10, Bad Boys for Life, 9, Brahms, The Boy 2, 8, Like a Boss, 7, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One, Harley Quinn, 6, 1917, 5, Emma, 4, The Call of the Wild, 3, Parasite, 2, Doolittle, and at the top of the pile, our little brew friend, Sonic, the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> So our first review on this week's episode is Greed, uh, and this sees Michael Winterbottom writing and directing a satire that sees Steve Coogan playing Richard McCready, a self-made British millionaire whose retail empire ends up in a state of crisis after a public inquiry into the runnings of his business may tarnish his name and his image may never quite recover. So in billionaire style, McCready decides to put on a highly publicised party to celebrate his 60th birthday on the Greek island of Mykonos. Uh, let's take a little listen to a clip. This is your young man. Yes, huh? this is Francois. Hello. Ah. Be happy to meet you. The pleasure's all mine, Francois. No, he's Francois. Otherwise, it would be a girl. <laughs> Get it right, Mum. Where are the children? Finn sleeps all day. He's pale. He looks like a vampire. And Lily was here, but she's gone off with a reality TV show. Oh, what's all that about? Why would you want your life splashed all over the telly, Francois? Beats me. Well, I think it's pretty good for her, actually. It gives us something to do and it keeps her grounded. Keeps yeah. her grounded? Yeah. If you look at the Kardashians, Kylie Jenner's got over a billion Instagram followers. She's on the cover of Forbes. Well, then she must be a very good person, basically. She's richer than you, sweetie. And she's That's not true, is it? Yes, it is. It's actually that true. That can't be true. She's richer than you. So that was the clip from the movie. David, what are the Rotten Tomato scores? So we don't have a... Uh, audience score but we do have a critic score of 59% uh, and for those of you who don't know rotten, what Rotten Tomatoes is we did explain it last week it's basically an online system that is used to aggregate scores um, so the critics can rate the film from one star to five star so can the audiences uh, and then it rounds those scores up and gives us an overall total anything over 50% is certified fresh anything under 50% is certified rotten and it gives you a really good idea of what the critics are thinking of a film but also what the audiences are thinking of a film yeah. and it's a really useful tool because sometimes audience scores can be really really high and critic scores can be much lower which shows you that critically the film hasn't been brilliantly well received but audiences liked it and other times you've got films that the critics really really enjoy but sometimes the audiences don't and it's just a really useful tool to see the overall um, way a film has been received yeah absolutely so this one had 58% on critics 59%, 59% on the critics on which is Tomorrow. not too bad no it's not been well received 
received completely, um, but it's uh, it's still certified fresh, as they say, on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. As they say. <laughs> um, so I think it's really important to kickstart this review off by saying that this is a satire. Uh, we did say it in the uh, in the bit at the beginning, but um, it's basically uh, based loosely on Sir Philip Green. Um, for, for those of you who don't know who Philip Green is, he was a um, a big billionaire mogul who run multiple different retail fashion outlets under the Arcadia Group in the UK. Um, I mean, you've got in here uh, David Mitchell playing a journalist who who's hired to write McCready, um, McCready's biography. Um, and it all appears to be a bit of a front um, to try and boost the credibility of McCready. Mm. Um, but all of this is in sort of shown in a bad light anyway during the course of the film and you see all these different things coming into play with cost-cutting money-making businesses in the world fast fashion and we're just introduced to lots of different backstories of McCready um, which then ties up with the modern day um, organisation of this great big spectacular party David. Yes this big party in Mykonos um, in, in a Greek island where he's there to celebrate his birthday in lavish style and he has a gladiator themed event meaning we have a Roman amphitheatre built from scratch a caged lion and enough greek togas <laughs> to put the cast of gladiator um to shame this all creates a very lavish in your face over the top spectacle designed to give sir richard the appearance of a greek emperor it's all about him and there's no subtlety in this film at all it is very in your face and it is all about sir richard it is, yeah. Um, but there's so much other stuff going on at play here. There's there's all these different tangents that the film seems to to veer off on, and some more serious than others. Um, and the mix seems to, to, in my eyes, not work so fantastically. They don't all come together in this really rather... Uh, well-received kind of movie. But mm. what you do get is this rather contrived, um, loose plots throughout the film, which by the end of it does all tie up in a, in a way. But during the course of the movie, that really didn't feel the way it was going to go. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to give too much away because I think it's it's worth going to see. Mm. And I will say that straight off the bat because it is it is a really important film to watch, I think. Um, but it is the the things in the background and the things in the foreground seem to be the wrong way round for me. Yeah. I don't know if you got that same feeling or not. Yeah, I I sort of did. I mean, what I did like is the way the film starts. So the s- film starts with a series of very eff- effective flashbacks, um, so showing how Sir Richard built his fashion empire um, and came close to ruins on many many occasions. Yeah. Uh, and this was perhaps my personal highlight of the film, those early parts. It gave the viewer a really quick insight to the past. It updated us with the present. Uh, and also the the journalist conducted some interviews with old friends, enemies and colleagues, which gave it a very documentary feel yeah. uh, at times, engaging the audience and also enhancing the believability of what was unfolding on the screen. So the thing that you're saying there, though, is... It happened very early on in the film, but mm. the way I remember it was that the journalist was interviewing a lot of these people and they were giving a history of what was happening and it would go to those parts, you know, the the, the history parts and show you what McCready was like in those various points yeah. of the interviews. And that was interspersed throughout the film. Yeah. And it and that that those parts were really, really well done. Um I I really enjoyed it. But that wasn't what the film was about. The film was really about the things that were unfolding in the current time. Mm. And and we didn't it just sort of didn't catch up with each other quick enough almost. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the the intertwinedness of those backstories with this 
journalist who who kind of feels really rather irrelevant in the story, but very relevant at the end. Yeah. Um, and it's this acceptance of what's going on in the background, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, what the journalist is trying to do is show... So we've got the glitz, we've got the glamour, but what the journalist does is he goes, for example, to visit the sweatshops in Bangladesh, where we see where Sir Richard is making all of his clothing. And there's one particularly powerful scene where the journalist is then invited uh, home with one of these ladies, and you see the abhorrent and awful living conditions that they're living in, mm. working 12, sometimes 16-hour days for, I think it was, I might be wrong, but like £5 a day. And that really contrasted with the glitz and the glamour. And that's what the journalist did bring. He brought the film back down to earth and brought a gritty realism that I think the film needed because it was slightly confused. Was it a comedy? Was it a hard-hitting drama? Well, again, was it it's neither a, It's a satire, end? but the, yeah. that, and that, and that is the point of the movie. But at the same time, it's, it's David Mitchell's character that doesn't feel right. It's the journalist yeah. should be his discovery of what he's finding out in the background about these these uh, um, what do you call them again the the sweatshops isn't yeah. it so it's 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 those bits where he seems to just still be the same bumbling character that just lets everything you know brush under the carpet and as a journalist who's investigating these things you kind of feel like that's not the right kind of guy to be doing it. Yeah. And even if it was somebody else playing this character, would he still be that bumbling fool? But I just felt like as it was David Mitchell playing it, kind of just didn't work for me at all. Um, it, the ending with him kind of letting everything go, I'm just, that's mm. all I'm going to say, um, kind of felt like the wrong thing to be doing, but I understood it. And, and I think that was a real good insight into... Our, all of our mentality into mm. what's going on in the fast fashion world. If that makes any sense. If you've seen the film, you'll understand it yeah. a lot better than what I'm explaining there. But I, I don't want to give too much away because I feel like it, yeah, you do need to see it. Yeah, I feel like David Mitchell's character was very relevant and very needed, but almost like David Mitchell was badly cast. Yeah, I'm not saying he gives a bad performance. He, he just really plays a very similar role to himself. Yeah, And he didn't yeah. really feel like he fit in in the overall aim or piece of the film yeah and I, you know Michael Winterbottom is the director here and he's had a lot of success on the small screen and a lot of success on the big screen and I haven't I haven't actually seen some of his bigger movies but I have seen The Trip with Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan um, both you know really great actors and of course he's working again here with Michael uh, Steve Coogan here we're uh, playing Richard McCready and I thought he was brilliant I really did I felt yeah. that he brought you know, for a, a slimy, uh, self-entitled character, he brought a, a sense of real entertainment to the role, even yeah. though it's not... You still got that horrible, cringe-worthy performance, but you still were entertained by it. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen was actually supposed to be yeah, playing... Yeah, I had that in fact as well, yeah. <laughs> he was supposed to be playing um, uh, Sir Richard McCready, and I feel like he would have brought a very different tone to the entire overall mm. feeling of the film where Coogan's done a much better job, I, I I think, anyway. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the acting, I think Steve Coogan was great. In terms of the direction, uh, I did feel like Michael Winterbottom was a little confused. I didn't know whether he wanted this to be a comedy, which it definitely was. I'd like it to make it very clear to the listeners that I laughed out loud. Craig was with me in the hmm. cinema. I laughed out loud a number of times. But I, I wasn't sure if he wanted it to be a hard-hitting commentary on the greed of the world's richest, or if at times he was, like, glorifying their actions in, as opposed to condemning them. No, no. Um, and I, 
for someone who's seen like the trip and, and other stuff, he always seems to have this thing running in the background and it's always the hard hitting stuff. So he does want to show you that hard hitting stuff. And I think he does that very, very well with, with how he sums up the rest of the film mm. with it, when it, when it comes to that big ending yeah um, I, and I think he really does hit the nail on the head I mean there's a whole Oedipus thing going on in the background as well um, which if you don't know what that is look it up because it, it makes total sense with things coming around in full circle and yeah. I, I think he does a really good job with, with bringing that thing in the background to the forefront that fast fashion thing that everybody seems to be brushing under the carpet um, and the thing that we kind of keep alluding to in some respects but I think no, he does a much better job with with rounding it off and having that thing running in the background and again it is a satire David it is, it is mm. that comedy I feel like I'm being told off at school here <laughs> no but it is though <laughs> it is that comedy it is the comic elements mixed with the hard hitting stuff brings that satire together mm. and we've seen plenty of satires before where it is humorous and hard hitting but this one I get what you're saying it didn't hit hard enough almost then again we came out of the cinema and we were all talking about it and we yeah. were giving it and it would make us think about all those issues the hard hitting stuff did come right at the very end that's all I'll say and it, to me, it, it almost felt like a little bit too late. If I think of something like Jojo Rabbit, that had comedy and hard-hitting um, moments like littered throughout the film. This, I felt it was much more like a comedy. Like For me, the first 70 to 80% of this film I loved, mm. I just think it started to, after one pivotal moment in the film, I just felt like it started to unravel a bit. So it was like, this is what we're going for. Or maybe we've had too much comedy. Now we need to have a hard-hitting message at the end. Yeah. And it just didn't quite work. But I still really, really enjoyed this film. Yeah, that's the thing. It is really entertaining, and I do get exactly what you mean because I, I see, I'm almost the reverse from, of you. I, I enjoyed the latter part of the film with the hard hitting stuff a lot more rather than the, the the beginning stuff with all of the history stuff juxtaposed with the the journalist going to the foreign countries and you seeing almost visually seeing it but not feeling it through the character. Um, and I I kind of felt it a bit more near to the end and. You know, it is entertaining. It was great fun to watch, um, and and then left you feeling very sick almost about what's going on in yeah. the world, um, and really makes you want to try and change the way that you shop for things. Almost, yeah, absolutely. And and the and the contrast of we have some scenes in Monaco, and the contrast between Monaco and Bangladesh, those two things literally running side by side mm. was really hard hitting and powerful. And what about those Syrian refugees? Well, exactly, as well? and that's another theme that he adds to to the film. And it's almost just, just too much going on in this film. Yeah. So Sir Richard's obviously about to have this big party, but on on the beach where his house or hotel, I'm not quite sure where he was. Actually, it was his own villa, wasn't it? Mm. It was his own house. Was overlooking this lovely little Greek beach, and there were some Syrian refugees who landed there. And he goes out of his way to go over to them, not to help them. Bear in mind, this man could give them some loose change, which would be nothing to him, and it, it could he could change all of their lives. And all he's concerned about is getting them off of his beach. I found that one of the most abhorrent, disgusting, soul-destroying elements of the film, that there's these human beings, these human beings that have had to flee their country for terrible political reasons, trying to find a safer and better place to live. He's a billionaire and he can't even help them out. No, it was, well, it was well, then terrible. He, he goes to try and help them out, doesn't he? But it's a way of moving them off the beach so that yeah, he's... Deceiving them. Deceiving them, exactly. And he gets them into basically building the amphitheater for him or finishing it off anyway and 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 uh well it's that theme of slavery running through it again yeah, and it's there's a big theme of slavery running through exactly well. so there's so much going on in this film and 
it's definitely worth a watch. And I think I'm going to have to watch it again because there is just so much to pick up on. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. Um, I mean, I might as well just ask you the question now. Yeah? And yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to touch upon? No, I am think, I think I'm good. Um, and, oh, wait, there is some little yeah. bits, isn't there? The technical aspects yeah, of the just film, the, the CGI yeah. bit. Go on. Um, so, I mean, for me, the CGI line didn't work. Um, I, I didn't particularly like it. I thought it was quite distracting. Um, but again, I mean, you wouldn't be able to have a real lion. So you're stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place. Um, but also the costumes as well. The costume design was brilliant. Um, there was nothing, you know, sensational about the cinematography, but there were some lovely shots of Monaco in there. There were yeah. some nice shots of the Greek Island, which contrasted, like I said, with the sweatshops in Bangladesh. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I thought it was a very, very solid film. Mm. I, I will just say I disagree with you about the with the line. I felt oh. it to be a slightly more impressive than than it was. I mean, it was no Jungle Book, and it wasn't Lion King or anything, but it yeah. served the purpose in the overall story and rounded the film off um, massively. And I, I, I wasn't too distracted by it. I mean, it was a it was shot in the in more or less in darkness. This scene, it yeah. was a dark, darkly lit film um, part of the the film, and it. It certainly looked a lot better in that sense. If it was broad daylight, I think you would have been able to really tell how bad the CGI was. Yeah. But I, I found it, it it wasn't too off-putting for me yeah. at all. Uh, anyway, David, greed. Is it worth it? Yes. Look, I think there are problems with this film. I don't think it's a completely rounded piece. I don't think the hard-hitting drama and the comedy merge together as well as the director might think they do mm. but overall i laughed a lot i did come out impacted by it and it's a film that i would thoroughly recommend watching i completely agree with you completely 100 oh. like, so um, craig greed is it worth it yes <laughs> that's good It's now time for a second review on this week's episode, and it's The Call of the Wild. This is Buck, a big-hearted dog whose blissful domestic life gets turned upside down when he is suddenly uprooted from his Californian home and transplanted to the exotic wilds of the Alaskan Yukon in 1890s. Uh, as the newest rookie on a mail delivery dog sled team, Buck experiences the adventure of a lifetime as he ultimately finds his true place in the world. Let's take a little listen to a clip. Your ancestors used to roam here, and mine, back when we were wild. There's a whole wild world just outside your doorstep, waiting for you to discover it. It's where we came from. It's home. The journey begins with that first step into the unknown. How do you feel about an adventure beyond all maps? Wild calls to each of us. We just have to be willing to listen. Answer the call. So I think that was a really good sort of trailer clip there that just gives you a broad idea of what the film is about. Yeah, I was going to say all the other clips were just of the dog. Um, <laughs> so you just have music and footprints in snow. Okay, yeah. Um, so that wouldn't have been ideal. So well done for selecting that clip there, Craig. Let's kick off in our usual way with the Rotten Tomato score. So it gets a very solid 62% from the critics and a very good 89% from the... Or very good indeed, 89% score from the audience and I'll 
kick straight off and say that I went into this film having not even seen the trailer. Mm. Um, so I went in completely blind. I'd only seen the poster uh, with a very old but still very handsome looking Harrison Ford and his beautiful <laughs> CGI dog Buck. Mm. And I didn't really know what to expect. But before you delve into the plot a little bit, I'll just say that I really, really enjoyed this film. Mm. Well, that's good off the bat, isn't it? Um, well, I went into this film not really knowing the story, but what I did know was that it was adapted from a Jack London book or novel published in 1903. And I found this film to be, you know, highly gripping and very emotional throughout. Um, and the story of a of an inner call to the wild, as as I might pull it, um, for the wildness from in, within within the dog buck and um it's also for harrison ford's character as well who's trying to remember or or find his place in in the world um around him and it's these two joinings of these two characters that really does make the film stand out from from other dog films i think Mm. uh it's the the adventure as well as you know those two yeah the um the interesting thing actually is unlike the source material john thornton who's played by harrison ford actually has a backstory so they wanted thornton thornton's experience to be similar to bucks for the film's adaptation to show both man and dog finding their strength Mm. and and overcoming tragedy so it's interesting that the source material didn't have that backstory but this did have that backstory and it was like two people sorry two people two beings that were all, almost always on a path to be together and when they finally go out into the wild together it's just a really beautiful and emotional and heartfelt story because often these dog stories mm. are about dogs coming home um i could think of a number of them for example um the homeward bound the incredible journey mm. um which is one of my favorite childhood films where you actually have real dogs uh, two dogs and a cat um, so they're real animals. Uh, they're not CGI, but the dogs actually speak, and so does the cat. Okay. And it's all about their journey of being in the wild and wanting to get back home, whereas this is the complete opposite of many um, traditional dog films where you have a dog that's lost and it goes on a journey to try and get home. This is about a dog trying to find its roots and going out into the wild, and I found that to be a really refreshing and interesting take, obviously based on the source material, but just a really refreshing and just interesting take on on that sort of thing. Yeah, no, definitely. And funny enough, though, um, the previous incarnation of this movie was done by 20th Century Pictures. Now, that was before the Fox merger, um, which made it obviously 20th Century Fox. Uh, And now... Uh, this one is done by 20th Century Studios, which is now with Fox out of the picture and the and it with uh, the Disney merger. So it's a bit of a weird, almost symmetry going on there with um, with 20th Century Pictures and and 20th Century Studios, um, which I think has no real meaning to to the actual film um because i feel like it's done a very good job in terms of of telling this story um we have the director chris sanders here's previous outings are actually lilo and stitch how to train your dragon the crudes and and now this one and um you know he you'll probably most know him from writing and and voice acting in more of your most favourite Disney movies from Beauty and the Beast to Aladdin, The Lion King, um, How to Train Your Dragon as well. So it's a real great, um, you know, back catalogue of work there. Um, I don't think this is his finest work. Um, I'd I'd struggle to say that that it was, but I do think How to Train Your Dragon was probably one of his his best pictures to to have uh, been directed. Um, But should we talk about a little bit about the acting or do you want to touch put more about the director there? No, 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 let's crack on with the acting. Okay, yeah. so in terms of acting, Omar, Omar Sy, um, he he played um, Peru, 
Um, and he was a French man in there who was the part of the mail delivery system. And he finds Buck and allows Buck to go on this journey with him. Um, uh, and this, this, this sort of finds like a pack basically within this pack of dogs that pull their, um, what do you call it? Sled. sled. Yeah, yeah, it is a sled, sled isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Full of mail. They're mail, they're postmen basically. They are the postmen that ride around on snow. Um, <laughs> <by dogs. laughs> anyway, Omar Sy, um, some of you may know him from uh, Untouchable, um, which is a really, really great um, comedy uh, in French, in, in from France. Uh, and it was made, remade recently uh, into The Upside, which starred Brian Craston and Kevin Hart. Yeah, um, we un- yeah, we did. We reviewed it. And I watched The Untouchable um, before, I believe, seeing The Upside. Um, and Omar Sy in that is, is brilliant. And I think he brings a lot to this movie he i mean all of the actors is a great cast but he in particularly i think he had the most impactful scenes for me with buck yeah um i won't go into too much detail because you're probably going to want to see it if you haven't seen it yet um and i i just really 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 enjoyed that that part of the story probably maybe more so than harrison ford being in in that part the later on part of the story i just felt there was a bit more at stake and a yeah. bit more growing and a bit more understanding. Yeah, I totally agree. But in terms of Harrison Ford, I thought he was brilliantly cast. Oh, yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Did you see, there's a moment in this film where he takes his shirt off. He's in incredible shape. I just wanted to throw that out there. He would, he looked really well. I don't remember, actually, but... Um, yeah, no, just, I mean, maybe I was, I don't know, but let's, <laughs> let's move on. Um, but no, he, he's in incredible shape. He's an incredible actor. And I just thought he was brilliantly cast. He brought a real humanity to the role mm. and a real vulnerability and a real sense of sorrow and loss and looking for, looking into the wild to find what what is within you. Yeah. Um, and I just thought he was brilliantly cast. He did a really good performance performing with this CGI dog that I imagine, obviously, he would have been performing to nothingness. Well, actually, I believe it's a live action um, motion capture um, oh, piece okay. as well. So I believe there is somebody playing the dog at certain points, but also the very photorealistic um, scans of, of a dog and then them portraying the movements of it. So basically, Fox have come out or... or Fox, I say Fox, it's um, 20th Century have come out with saying that it's a photorealistic emotion and emotionally authentic live action motion capture, which is very different to uh, the CGI that comes out of, for instance, Jungle Book or even more recently, The Lion King. So obviously Lion King was photorealistic um, in a lot of senses, but lacking that emotionally authentic. Absolutely spot on. Um, And it's with that kind of CGI here, I think it does very well to meet in the middle. It has the photorealisticness, it has the emotion, emotionally authenticness of the expressions and the cheekiness of Buck mm. throughout the movie. Um, there are some moments where you were slightly put off with the CGI. It was very evident that it was CGI, but yeah. for the most part, I actually found it not distracting at all. Yeah, no, I totally agree. For me, I found the CGI on the whole really good. Uh, I, th- In my opinion, it works like 90% of the time. Mm. Uh, and th- therefore, you're sort of willing to forgive that 10% of the time where it doesn't quite seem legitimate and something doesn't quite seem right with it. Or a better way of putting it is you're 
aware that it is a CGI dog. But 90% of the time, what it allows Buck to do is really become his own character. So to have those facial expressions, to show sadness, to show happiness, to show that cheekiness that we all know and can see in real life dogs. But sometimes it's difficult for those to be put onto a big screen. And I thought one of the main problems with Lion King was that the animation was so real that we couldn't get a sense of emotion from these lions and it really detracted us from the story. Yeah, and also they are talking as well. Yes. There's no voice acting in this film for Buck. It is literally... Which I really, really like. Yes, I respected that as well and I think the ratio in Lion King of voice acting being emotionally charged versus the actual visual nature of the characters not being um, emotionally charged detracted. You needed to have that emotionally uh, authentic nature and realisticness in the the capture of the animals at the same time with the, the voices being toned down a bit in Lion King whereas this one captures it pretty much spot on I think yeah um did you have anything else that you'd like to say yeah it was just in in regards to the soundtrack so the music was by John Powell um, mm-hmm. he's also known for the Bourne films How to Train Your Dragon Shrek 2001 Happy Feet and most recently Solo A Star Wars Story I mean what I would say about the score it was a very nice score mm. and what it did it, it really enhanced what you were seeing on the screen so it was a score that had been perfectly matched yeah. like, like a jigsaw puzzle to what was unfolding on the screen it was nothing sensational. It's not the, the kind of soundtrack. Um, I've just said the word, haven't I? <laughs> That's why you're laughing. <laughs> the key word. It's, I, I always say things are sensational. Now I'm saying this wasn't sensational. Damn ye! But um, <laughs> no, it, 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 it wasn't a sensational score. It's not the kind of thing that you would listen to at home, whereas some of the other brilliant scores of the year, like 1917 or Joker, really are like characters of their own. Yeah. Um, this wasn't that, but John Powell is, I think he's, done music on over 50 films so he's a very well-known musical composer i thought his score was was really well done for this film it was really well done but i kind of felt that it wasn't it wasn't amazing it didn't jump out at me um it didn't yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a character in its own right um but it was it was just under underneath the visuals and it yeah. complemented the visuals but it, it, you wouldn't listen to this to fall asleep to at all you wouldn't really give it another thought really no I had to look it up on YouTube and listen to a bit of it which I did before recording yeah. and just remind myself of it but a very nice score for for the action that unfolded on the screen yeah absolutely um, we do have an email here from Loreline. Uh it's been about 20 years she says I read since I read Jack London's Call of the Wild for school and I don't recall seeing any of the remakes except for this year's film it's interesting that this is the first film I've seen bearing the 20th Century Studios logo at the start of the film because much of the film feels like a Disney film pre-Eisner it's rated age 6 here in Germany so gritty it is not I didn't mind the CGI aspects of Buck I guess that's the way we're going to go seeing the trouble that Universal got into over a dog's purpose and most of the time I forgot that we were looking at a CGI dog and it's only occasionally the CGI lets it down. In fact I thought the CGI did allow them to bring in a bit more characterization into the dogs of the dog sledge pack than they could have done with real dogs. The cinematography of Alaska is suitably impressive and okay film it's not one that I want to ever see again even when it makes its way to Disney Plus eventually. Uh, but the two old ladies I took with me, a grandmother and 
and a grand aunt both said they really, really enjoyed it. Um, so that's a really nice email there. Thank you from our Patreon supporter, Loreline. Um, it's it's nice to have emails coming in. Yes, it's brilliant. Really appreciate that email. It's great to read it out on the show and couldn't agree more with, with what you said there, particularly about the CGI dog. It is let down at times, but overall it gives that that real characterization that the dog needs, Craig. Yeah, it really does. Um, do you have anything else to say? Um, I other than I really enjoyed the film. Okay, um, so I might as well ask you the question. Yes, then. please do. David, The Call of the Wild, is it worth it? Yes, look, I went into this completely blind. Like I said, I hadn't seen... Blind! <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I hadn't seen any trailers or, or anything. And I just thought it was a really warm, uplifting, heartfelt, powerful, emotional story with really good performances. It's like um, Loreline says, some suitably impressive cinematography. Perfect for a family day out, by the way. Perfect for adults, really good for children as well. And a film that I would thoroughly recommend seeing on the big screen. I think this does need to be seen in the cinema. I pretty much completely agree with you there, David. I don't think I really have to add much more to what you've just said, other than the fact that I think this film is totally worth it. Oh, I was going to ask you the question. You didn't let me ask you the question. Oh, no. <laughs> Our third review on this week's episode is Like a Boss, and it sees best friends Mia and Mel run their own cosmetic company, a business they built from the ground up. But they're also in over their heads financially, and the prospect of a buyout for offer from an industry titan proves too tempting to pass up. The beauty uh, business is now about to get ugly as the proposal puts Mia and Mel's lifelong friendship to the ultimate test. Let's take a little listen to a clip from this movie. Shame on your house. Wait, wait, firing you is not my idea. I promise. Well, we wouldn't I've... even be here had you not pushed me into letting Claire do a grab job on our company. She saved our company, which was about to go broke. Oh, yeah, and everything's so fantastic now. No, nothing's fantastic hey, hey, now. Hey, hey, <laughs> Witness my tragic moment. <laughs> so that was a clip from the film Like a Boss and actually it was one of my favourite scenes in the whole film where Mia and Mel have to sack one of their lifelong friends as they've been bought out by a much bigger um, hair and makeup company and uh, the woman in charge of that company is starting to really run the show and making them do things that they don't want to do and that witness my tragic moment <laughs> uh, when you actually see his facial expressions it's really, really, really one of the better moments of the film. What is the film like? Well, I've got to say it's pretty disappointing overall and that is reflected in the Rotten Tomato scores. It gets a 20% score so pretty, pretty bad. Obviously certified rotten by the critics. Not and I'm not, fresh. I'm not surprised the critics give it such a low score. It gets a slightly better fresh audience score of 65%. So audiences have liked this a little bit more. And again, that doesn't surprise me. But critically, 20% is a very bad score. And I think it reflects that this film, for me, it just felt very shallow, very hollow and ultimately very empty which is a real shame because some of the themes about women in business and successful women in business it, it really could have been much more hard-hitting uh, than it was 
Yeah, I mean, we saw a film recently, didn't we, um, with, um, I've forgotten her name completely as well. I bet you can't even guess what film it is just from that. <laughs> I'm afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid, mate, I can't. Um, it was the one with, um, oh God, it's going to be playing like a, um, a game here with you now. Uh, the film starred a very big actress of which I can't remember her name for either. It's not helping me much, No, Craig. it's really not helping you at all. But it did have a business element if, uh, in there of a woman going out on her own, becoming a boss, running a company and they, and that sort of hit home a bit harder in terms of how women can be a boss um but with this one it was very different it was they were already the bosses of this company and they just were not doing a very good job of of running this business and this prospect of a buyout seemed to be in the background and it, it was more like testing the friendships it was more about the friendship mm. than it was about these two women to be capable of running a, a really great business. And there's absolutely no reason why they can't, but it just seemed to throw all these these things in why why these women couldn't go into business or why they couldn't work together. And, and it just felt very hollow, like you said. It just didn't have the impact that it should have had mm. uh, with this kind of, these, these sort of themes running in the, in, in the background. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to create, it's, it's a very, two men obviously discussing about this, I, you know, sort of treading on eggshells a bit, but it seemed to create issues and highlight issues and then completely ignore those issues. And it sort of made a big scene out of something where it didn't need to make a scene. Like, we know that women can run incredibly successful businesses. Often they can do a far better job than men can. And women and, and men should be seen as equals, particularly in all elements of life, but especially the workplace. So it was it was a bit convoluted and confused. So it did try to have that serious message. Yeah. But at the same time, it had real buffoonery to it, some real silly slapstick, over-the-top comedy. And it's quite crude as well. I found some of the humour very crude, and it just didn't really land with me actually no and i think even if this was two men in their position doing the, the, a similar storyline i still don't think this would have landed at all either i think i think it was just it came out at the wrong time it came out with the wrong intentions um and it just didn't work um we have rose byrne starring as mel carter in this movie uh, and her partner in crime is tiffany haddish who plays mia in the film um and these two are the friends that sort of bounce off each other throughout this film uh, the comedy elements come from both of them now Tiffany Haddish uh, is not somebody that I enjoy watching in films I always find her to be um, very outlandish and crude um, but I feel like she actually was the better person in this film um, with the character that she was playing I think Rose Byrne is generally um, in my opinion a very 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 good actress um, and from this it just didn't seem to work in that in that favour for her at all yeah, I mean, I, I came out disappointed. I have to say, I saw the trailer for this film, and when I saw the trailer, it was at an, an, at an unlimited screening, so it was a very packed cinema, mm. and there was lots of laughter for the trailer, and I thought, yeah, do you know what? This doesn't look too bad at all. Some of the crude humour was in there, and I didn't find that particularly funny, but there was plenty of laughter. The problem this film had was it showed some of the best moments and some of the funniest moments in the trailer, and I always warn people, a long trailer can often mean a bad film, because if you have a very long trailer, it often shows some of the best bits of the movie to entice mm. you in. But when you actually get into the cinema, there isn't much more else. And 
Another, maybe one of the reasons I struggle with this film is I watched it in an almost empty cinema. Mm. The only people, there was four other people in there, one uh, couple behind me and an elderly couple in front of me, which I don't want to sound ageist, but I was, it did seem very odd that they were watching this film. I don't know if they thought it was something different because it has got very crude humour and they just, they didn't laugh at all. Um, They didn't seem to enjoy it at all. I mean, I didn't speak to them afterwards, but throughout the film, I didn't see them laugh. And it was just a very flat atmosphere in the screening that I was watching. And and maybe that didn't help. But overall, I just found it to... I mean, Rose Byrne and Tiffany Haddish, I think they give acceptable performances. But I think the problem this film has is it has a convoluted plot and a a pretty ropey script. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. Um, I, I basically didn't enjoy the film at all, to be honest with you. And I sat there in a relatively empty screening. There was a few laughs, but um, nothing that really encouraged me to laugh throughout the movie. I hadn't seen the trailer, um, so I did go into it relatively blind as well. And um, yeah, I just, yeah, it just wasn't for me. Um, um, should we, did you want anything well, else? Well, just Salma, uh, Salma Hayek played Claire Luna, and I thought she played that really over-the-top, in-your-face brash. She was like the female version of Sir Richard, uh, which we reviewed in Greed. Very only worse, though. Only worse, yeah. Much more crude and in your face and openly just out to take over this business and deceive people. Um, and not very nice either. Um, someone in the cosmetic industry who was really trying to create this image of beauty that actually women are beautiful anyway. Mm. And that's what Mia and Mel wanted to do. They wanted to use makeup to highlight women's beauty and enhance it. Whereas um, Claire Luna was much more about covering women in makeup and, and almost covering up what the natural beauty that women have. Uh, and I just found her to be a really horrible and slimy character, but one that was effective for the overall narrative of the movie. Effective, but just not entertaining though. No. I, a lot of the laughs were supposed to come from her, but it never ever landed. And this is the point of like in Greed, with Steve Coogan, he manages to land the laughter. He yeah. manages to land the 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 the, the, the horrible sliminess of, of of that character, but also make it an entertaining one. This this character was the opposite, and and the opposite again. And I think that comes down to the script. I think the script really lets this film down. The premise is good. Some of the humor lands, but a lot of the humor doesn't land. And I think that is basically not nothing to do with the acting, but actually to do with the overall script, mm. um, which which the actors are given to work with. Yeah, definitely. Uh, David, I'm going to ask you the question now. Is that okay? Yes, please do. Okay, well, like a boss, is it worth it? Uh, unfortunately not. Like I said, the premise is there, there's potential there, but overall the the impact of the film just wasn't. I found it to be quite crude, quite underwhelming, and ultimately quite disappointing, and I think that's reflected in the 20% critic score it gets on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Craig, like a boss, is it worth it? I was going to say, you're taking the words right out of my I mouth. I seem to do I this know. all the time. And you're doing this at, on I, every single one what, of these for reviews the ne- so For far. the next film, I'm going to ask you the question first. Okay. But for this one, Craig, like a boss, is it worth it? No, I do not feel this is worth going to see in the cinema. Um, Avoid at all costs, really. Mm. Mm. Um, So that was our review of Like a Boss. And we now have a message about Patreon. We interrupt. 
interrupt this broadcast or visit Worth It The Film Review Podcast for an important announcement. If you're enjoying the podcast, we would like to remind you that you can now become a Patreon supporter for as little as $3 a month. This helps the podcast to continue to grow as well as offering the potential for bonus content and Is It Worth It merchandise. Your support helps the podcast stay alive. So why not become a Patreon supporter today? Head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash Is It Worth It podcast. So that was a message about Patreon. Um, and we've got, no, get my words out properly there. Oh my goodness me. Um, so we're now moving on to the next review on this week's episode. And it's Brahms the Boy 2. Uh, this film sees a young family moving to the Hillshire's residence. Uh, terror strikes when a boy from the family discovers a doll called Brahms that appears to be eerily human. Uh, let's take a little listen to a clip from this movie. Give it back! No, I don't think I will. Give it back to her. Ooh, now your boyfriend's mad. Why'd you come get it from me, mental? You know, I wouldn't worry about this doll thing. Will used to be obsessed with this blanket. Run, mental, run! Stop it, Will! Obsessed. But then one day I realized that it was quite literally a security blanket. And I think this doll could be the same thing. Come on, mental! You shouldn't worry about it, is what I'm saying. Kids do all sorts of weird things. They go through phases. And then poof, it's gone. And there was a clip from the movie. David, take it away. Yes. That's right, the trumpet is out. The trumpet is out. Now, I did really think about bringing the trumpet out or not, and me and Craig were debating whether to bring the trumpet out, but I've decided that the trumpet... This is a trumpet-worthy film. This was, unfortunately, just really, really bad, and and that is reflected in the fairly abysmal uh, Rotten Tomato scores. <laughs> so from the critics, it gets 10%, a oh, 10% score 10% from the critics, and only 42% from the audience... Um, and this was a really, really disappointing film. And the basic premise was that we have um, this family um, and they're broken into, their house is broken into, and this causes a, tra- a trauma for the young child and it causes him to become mute. So he no longer speaks uh, and they get a, a child psychiatrist or a child therapist in to try and help the uh, the young boy. Yeah. And they decide what they need to do is they need to have a nice little break and they need to go into the countryside. So where do they go? So, well, they seem to go to Hemel Hempstead. <laughs> uh, as they're driving down the motorway, they went past and showed the sign for Hemel Hempstead. So it's not a particularly good advert for our hometown, um, which just seems to be full of haunted houses and dolls. <laughs> but the, So the premise is, okay, I understand that the boy has been traumatised and he's become a mute and the therapy's not working so they're going to have some family time away but if you're going to have some family time away go on TripAdvisor research where you're going don't don't go to Hemel Hempstead first of all and second (laughs) of all look at what you're booking yeah don't go to a house that and there's a few spoilers here that has a history of people being murdered and butchered and children going insane and the doll is reported at every single Death. So yeah. hang on a second. Why has no detective 
you know, managed to this find... house off. Oh, and, I, and it's almost like, where did they go to, to find this house? Was it on like hauntedairbnbs.com or something? <laughs> yeah. It's just ridiculous. So, so they arrive at this house and the main house is completely derelict and empty and covered in cobwebs and woo. <laughs> it's very, very spooky. But they're saying in the side house, which used to be the innkeeper's lodge or some sort of... Something like that. Something like that. But at the same time, there's this derelict empty house that's set in a very small woodland and there seems to be this games keeper who wanders around, you know, keeping the area secure with this huge double barrel shotgun. Where does he live? Where does he stay? Nobody knows. What, what's he? What, why does he need a double barrel shotgun in Hemel Hempstead? I mean, what is he in shooting? In a woodland area, that's probably yeah. less than I mean, an acre. Perhaps some monk jack deer and a, and a few ground squirrels um, <laughs> is, is, about all, is about all you're going to have there. Other than what becomes evident is he knows ooh, about this haunted doll. When the boy digs the doll up, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he take the doll away from the boy? Why? Ah, there's a, there is a reason. There is a reason, but without spoiling it, we yeah. won't say. But it's still absolutely ludicrous. The whole the whole plot and the whole premise is ludicrous. However, performances wise, Katie Holmes, I think she she raises the game a little bit for this film. I mean, she is a fantastic actress. I loved her on Dawson's Creek um, and amongst other movies as well. But I mean, she it's, it's, why is she here? What is she doing in this movie? It just makes no sense. It's like a B-listed movie. Yeah, it's very, very poor. I mean, Christopher uh, Convery, who plays Jude, the young child actor, I think he does a pretty good job with the pretty terrible source material Mm. that he's been given. But they go out, they go to this house, and then he digs up the doll. And the doll becomes a way of him communicating. And they think that because he's not speaking, that he's communicating through the doll. But what becomes apparent, ooh, (laughs) is that the doll is actually communicating to him and i i want to do more spoilers but we it, we're a non-spoiler show we try to be anyway. we, we try to be anyway but the whole premise of the film is just very very poor it doesn't really work it's it's not very scary it's very very slow it's quite dull um it has a very over-the-top eerie soundtrack which slightly enhances it makes you aware that you're watching a horror film as any good soundtrack should do but then it's got those terrible jump scares that remind me of insidious the last key mm. so you'll be walking down a a, a, a dark corridor then <laughs> something will pop out and it's like you do jump out of your skin but not because it's scary but because you're in a, a theater with surround sound with incredibly loud jump scares that make you jump and then you go that was terrible and the other problem it has is that when the jump scares are about to come, you learn, here we go, three, two, one, here comes the ghoul, you know, three, two, one, here comes the, the turn of the doll's head. And it's just very, very predictable and very, very boring. Mm. I, I do believe you have an email there, don't you? I do, yeah. So I have an email from Toby. And as always, we love emails uh, from you. And what he says, from what I read, the other film was moderately successful from a sequel point of view Brahms is a slap in the face to whoever liked the first entry the acting is actually not that bad they underused Ralph Einson who was phenomenal in The Witch they tried to make him the creepy caretaker but he just ended up feeling out of place which we totally agree with the attempted jump scares are very cringy and overwhelming it's got an incredibly anticlimactic ending feels like a total cash cow as they haven't even tried to be creative yeah and I think Toby hits the nail on the head there it is a cash cow there's nothing new 
about it. There's nothing creative about it. It's not very scary. It's just not very good. And I wasn't going to give it the trumpet, but on the back of the 10% critical score, I had no choice. No choice. Yeah, we were debating it, weren't we? And I was all for the trumpet. Mm. Um, it did take you a little bit of swaying, I think, just a little bit. But <laughs> it, it might... It's, it's de- you know, the film... What did we give last week? Doolittle, the trumpet we gave. Yeah. I think Doolittle is awful. Mm. I think this is equally as bad. Um, maybe not quite as bad, you know, maybe like by 1%. I think the difference is that Doolittle had some very bad performances. I don't think the performances yeah. in this are bad. I just think the premise is bad. The plot's ludicrous. Um, the and doll the- is just ridiculous as well. Yeah. The whole, I mean, dolls in scary movies, it's been done before. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so rubbish. unoriginal. It's just, oh, it is. It's just so bad, isn't it? And if you have got a, a young boy who has been traumatised, is it wise to allow him to dig up a doll from the woods and then start talking to it? Probably not. Yeah. The scene that I found really weird was the way that she laid it out on the table to clean it, almost yeah. like she was doing an autopsy on it. Yeah. And I found it really yeah, bizarre. It, it was odd. And then she took off his little trousers and washed them and then put them back on. But it was like watching an episode of House when they're doing a post-mortem or something. Mm. It was just ridiculous. It just made no sense. Uh, can, can, I, can, I, can, I, can you ask me the question now? Yes, I will. Brahms, the boy too. Ooh, <laughs> is it worth it? Uh, absolutely not. This film had nothing to, new to provide to this sort of uh, stereotypical type of horror film. It had nothing going for it whatsoever. And I do not believe that this film is worth going to see in the cinema whatsoever. What about you, David? Brahms, the boy too. Is it worth it? Absolutely not. It was unoriginal, uninspired really boring and it had such an anticlimactic ending when the when the film finished it was just like oh that was bad and it's one of those films that i genuinely feel sorry for i've got an unlimited card i genuinely feel sorry for anyone who paid for it so do not go and see this film (laughs) in the cinema do not stream it do not buy it brahms the boy 2 is very very poor trumpet worthy 10 percent on rotten tomatoes i shall say no more So it's now time for our final review on week 44 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. And it's onward. Uh, This sees two teenage elf brothers, Ian and Barley Lightfoot, go on an adventure to discover if there is still a little magic left out there in in order to spend one last day with their father, who died when they were too young to remember him. Let's take a little listen to a clip from this movie. Down, bad dragon. Back to your lair. (laughs) Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, Mom. Hey, buddy, don't wipe off my kisses. What? You're wearing your dad's sweatshirt. Oh, you know, finally fits. Oh, my little chubby cheeks is all grown up. Okay, okay, Mom, (laughs) I gotta eat something before school. So that was a clip from Onward, and onward we shall go with this review, and we will kick it off in our regular uh, regular place uh, with the Rotten Tomato scores. Uh, so it gets an eighty four percent score from the critics, and no audience score as of yet. I'm afraid. No, and the reason why there is no audience score is simply because this came out on Saturday, the twenty ninth of February, a leap year, and they were giving us an opportunity to see it for one day only, a week. 
early, basically. Uh, and that is because it's special previews. Uh, and obviously, they want to make more money, get word of mouth out there. Because more this, money. I haven't really seen much marketing for. Uh, no, I hadn't even seen a trailer for it. I'd no. seen no marketing, uh, no posters, uh, nothing whatsoever. No, I, I hadn't really seen barely actually anything, to be honest with you. But shall we just say who the director is? It's Dan Scanlon. Uh, Dan has uh, directed uh, Tracy, Monsters University, and now Onward. Um, and these are obviously Disney movies. Um, he's been part of Toy Story 4 as the creative team. He's been part of Pixar for many years, and now this is his first directing uh, directing um, uh, intro, I suppose, yeah. in terms of proper, proper movies. Um, and you know what? going to go straight into it and say I absolutely love this movie yes I totally agree with you I was so pleasantly surprised by it I, I didn't know what to expect I knew it being Disney Pixar that it was going to be a quality film mm. but you know com- I would compare it to the likes of um, The Incredibles 2 and Toy Story 4 it's up there I mean they're big you know well known Disney franchises with yeah. Incredibles 2 and Toy Story 4 but this had a really unique feel to it and such likable characters like immediately I liked the characters I liked the journey they were on uh, I love the name of it Onward um, which makes sense when we talk a little bit about the plot do you want me to talk a bit about that or would yeah you... go for it so you've got these these two uh, elf brothers and one of them uh, turns 16 uh, and now he's 16 he gets a present um, so it's Ian who turns 16 played by Tom Holland or voiced by Tom Holland uh, the other uh, brother is Barley bro- uh, voiced by Chris Pratt uh, and he gets this magical staff, um, like a piece of wood. Um, <laughs> but it, a, a twig. No, yeah, it's a bit bigger than like a twig. A, it's like a branch. It's yeah. very, you know, and it's got a, a, a holdall at the top, which you can put a, a magic stone in. And it, it all makes sense if you watch it. And his dad has left them a spell which can bring him back from the dead for one day and one day only. Now, what I would like to interject here, now this is set in a world... Yes. Um, where magic was always there. Um, there were there were wizards and witches and um, all these different magical creatures roaming around. But as the world progressed and got lazy and electricity was introduced, and technology, became, yeah, exactly. It became more and more like our own world. So you have these this ma- these magical creatures or these magical beings that we consider to be magical. Um, uh, in in a world that not too dissimilar to ours, integrated so in. in. Well, it's not even integrated in. It is their world, yeah. But with our technology, and it's very funny to watch that unfold. Um, but there is still, hopefully, a bit of magic left in the world because these two boys, as you said, get this magical stuff, and it is it is this journey now that they have to go on as brothers to try and bring back their father, just so that they can meet him uh, one last time. And for for Tom Holland's character, Ian, he's never met his father. Yeah. And so he he most of all wants to say hello, who, you know, lovely to meet you sort of thing. Nice to meet you, Dad. But for for Barley, who who did grow up and has four memories of his of his father, has a bit more of a goodbye to say to his father because yeah, he never absolutely. really truly had the opportunity to say goodbye. So they have a lot at stake here to try and bring him back. But when they do this spell, mm. something terrible happens and <laughs> it somehow backfires and only half of their father comes back. So yeah. he's simply just legs in this just film. A pe- just a pair of legs. He's just a pair of legs and sort of waist, I suppose. And 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 he's simply walking around. But they still have this great comic. It's played, done to great comedy effect. Yeah, this um, relationship with him. Yeah. And they manage to communicate through touch on his legs and... Um, 
Barley used to tap his dad's legs with, to the theme of dum 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 dum, and then his dad would stamp dum dum. So he taps his legs like that, and his dad realizes who it is. Um, and unfortunately, when they made this spell, the original stone that they had in the top of the staff is destroyed. So to complete the spell, they must go on a quest to find another one of these stones to put in the staff to bring him back. And they've only got 24 hours. And what a fantabulous um, <laughs> journey they go on. It's the animation is brilliant. Um, the characters are unique and original. Tom Holland does a brilliant job with the voice. Chris Pratt, for me, steals the show. I never used to be a big fan of Chris Pratt. I, I thought he played quite similar characters uh, on the back of his sort of parks and recreation stuff. Mm. But actually, he's proven to be a very diverse actor and he is really good in this. He's really heartfelt, really emotional. Um, He's also really, really funny. There's great humour in this. The animation is wonderful. It really is. I, I watched this on my own, as I often do, and I just sat there really, really enjoying this film. Um, and there's loads in it for children, so there's lots of comedy. Comedy that hits for adults, comedy that hits for children. It's an ageless and timeless story. I feel like this is going to be one of Pixar's potential classics. I'd love to see maybe a second one. Yeah, and and I think they haven't left it open, so to speak. It could end here, but there could be a want to see what happens to these characters um, after they've finish this film I suppose I won't want to spoil yeah. any of it for any, anyone because we did get to see it on that special 24 hour um, release um, of, of the film so there'll be plenty of people who haven't seen it when this goes out yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole host of other people in the film. We have Octavia Spencer, who plays a manticore, who is um, a, a brilliant creature within this movie. Yeah. Um, and the mother, Laurel Lightfoot, is played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, um, who actually is in another film that's coming out fairly soon that we're going to review. And I have a feeling it's not going to be very well taken. Okay. I'll, I'll, that's all I'm going to say. We can, <laughs> we can discuss about it later, but um, yeah. Did you have anything else to say? Yeah, it was just, like I said, it's a brilliant piece of animation for children, but for adults, there's themes of loss, closure, friendship, brotherhood, and ultimately the meaning of family and what it means to be part of a family and what makes a family. And I just adored this film I and I, I'm going to go and see it again and I normally only feel, see films again that I really like the likes of A Star Is Born Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Ebbing Missouri Joker 1917 Onward is I don't think it's up there with those films in terms of how much I like it but it's probably the best animation I've seen since Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Oh, that's big that's big statements there yeah. I like that you know what I really liked about this as well the beginning before the movie even started, we have a oh, introduction yes. to the Simpsons, welcoming them almost to to, to the Disney universe. Yeah. So they created a special um, short story um, starring Maggie and most of the cast um, of the Simpsons, but it was primarily based on Maggie mm. and this very relatable story to very young children. And, and it completely was, silent as well. Completely so no, silent. No, vo- was, no voiceovers. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was I really, really good. I really loved it. I really, I really, really enjoyed it. We're talking over each other. I yeah. apologise. Yeah. We're saying, yeah. we're singing off the, I, t- I tell you what, you're in trouble if you carry on doing this. <laughs> um, we're singing off the same hymn sheet. What a brilliant hymn sheet it is. Ah, good. Craig. <laughs> yes. Onward. Is it worth it? Yes, this film is 
totally worth going to see in the cinema. I think this, I'm hoping it will do very well, but on the back of it not having much marketing, I'm hoping word of mouth will spread this one far and wide. Um, it's a really, really wonderful film that has a lot to like about it. Lots of really great themes. There's things for adults, things for children, um, as it should be. And um, yeah, I just thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this movie. David, how about yourself? I know what it's like for you to go second because I would just like to reiterate everything you've said. Brilliant for children, fantastic for adults. One of the best animations I've seen in a long, long time. Take your whole family to see Onward. It is 100% worth it. That's absolutely right, David. And that was our review of Onward. Thank you for listening to week 44 of Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Now, a big shout out to the Is It Worth It? team who are currently working behind the scenes on getting this podcast out to your ears. Now, Alex, who is now working on the editing in terms of sound, he's beavering away currently. uh, And along with Toby, who's got some sweet new graphics and animations in the works. Uh, Floss, Shivani, Herbie and Ranji are all working on some great new content as well. And we can't wait to share it all with you. Yes, we'd also like to take this opportunity to thank our wonderful Patreon supporters thank you so much for investing in us Uh, it gives a real momentum to the show and we are currently working on giving you guys some exclusive content and perks please do bear with us as we just flesh out the details for these um, perks and exclusive content Uh, And if you'd like to get in contact with the show, there's all of our normal ways, but we'd like to invite you into a new way to get in contact with the show. That's right, Craig. We're now on WhatsApp and you can leave us messages, you can leave us voice clips or even dial in for live chat. Just go to the Facebook page and hit the WhatsApp button. Or you can email the show on mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. That's mymailisworthit at isitworthitpodcast.com. Or you can head on over to the website to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram. And if you enjoy the show, why not introduce it to some friends and family and then get them to rate it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We recently got a new five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Some lovely comments there. And we really do love it when we get you guys' feedback. It it really gives us a feeling of self-worth and we just want to thank you for that. Yes. Uh, Coming up, there's some great content going out this week with it being International Women's Day on Friday the 6th, which we have a special episode for. And then on Monday next week, we have a new episode of Cinema at Home. Yes. So stay tuned for all of that. And uh, thanks for listening. Tutty bye. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> bye. Good, good boo. Good boo. Cracking music. Hi, guys. I was just editing the show when I came across a mistake that Craig made. He said that International Women's Day was on Friday the 6th. and It's actually Sunday the 8th of March. So we'll have an episode coming out then for you guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Bye.